Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers are sitting around drinking tasty beverages, talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that do not agree, but are lovingly and respectfully delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's writing bench is Traz Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 156, interview with Stina Light. Welcome, Stina. Thank you. We are so delighted to have you here. This is a perfect bit of serendipity because Chaz tells me that you two fell into a deep, passionate rant on Twitter, was it? <laughs> I think it was Twitter. Yes. Um, but we kind of, yeah, you know. I mean, I wanted, but all I wanted to do was tell her how good her book was. Your book apparently is good. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> For readers out there, she's written a book called Persephone Station, which I believe was nominated for a Hugo? Uh, no. No, it was not. I'm wrong. <laughs> the book called Persephone Station, which I think should have been nominated for a Hugo, <laughs> therefore, so the Hugo committee needs to take my advice exactly. Shut up. There could Sorry. be. Okay. We could, we could appoint a committee. We appoint a committee right now. Exactly. <laughs> No, one of my previous novels was, uh, actually two of my previous novels were nominated for an astounding award. My first two novels were. I, I want I want to hear you talk about Persephone Station, because that's the one I've read recently, and, <laughs> and, and I liked it so much. He did, he's been ranting about it to me like before we started um, this. <laughs> but, but tell us about the early books first. Oh, sure. Um, first one is called Of Blood and Honey, and it was a historical urban fantasy set in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Oh, that's right. I yeah. remember that. And I had a question on And Blue Skies from Pain. Was that based on uh, the song? Yes, it was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Lyrics Girl Strikes Again. Absolutely. Yeah, those two books have a lot of music in them. Well... As you do. Yes, exactly. The main character is very into music. So that's just part of who he is. Had you, when you were writing about Northern Ireland, had you spent time there? At that point in time, no. I interviewed a lot of people who lived through that time period. Yeah. Yeah, I say a lot, but it was like two. <laughs> <laughs> for somebody who is living in, in Texas, right? Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, can you say what drew you to Northern Ireland in the Troubles? Here's the thing. It, it, I happened upon, I used to work at Book People, uh, which is a bookstore in Austin. And they give all of the people who are booksellers uh, copies of ARCs all the time. And they leave them in the lunchroom. And I happened upon a copy of, of those are real bullets in the lunchroom. And I started reading it because I was bored. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I just got sucked into the whole story. And for a good, I don't know, six months, a year, I was the, the story just pops into my head. And I decided, okay, well, I can't write about that. There's no way I can write about that, that I'm not going to write about that. I will just stick it in in a character's backstory and just leave it at that. So I was writing an urban fantasy that was set in Austin. And I wrote a like a short story, and that was the character's backstory, who was half Puka. So <laughs> of that story, I think that's all I kept. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, over time, it just 
it kept showing up on my doorstep and and I kept telling it to fuck off and go away. It's like, mm. this is this is not for me to tell. I, I'm staying mm. away from this. I know how touchy the subject is. I'm staying away from it. And it, it kept showing up on my doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I, I remember I had a, a conversation with another, an author, a very well-established author. And she, she asked me, so what are you, what are you writing? And I told her about the situation and she said, so do you love this story? And I was like, yes, I really, I'm fascinated. I'm completely drawn to what's going on there. And, but what was going on there, but I just don't have the right to do this. And she said, well, if you love it and you study it and you do your homework and you do the very best you can, then, then it becomes what you know, even though it's not something that you've lived through and you better interview people who've lived through it. And I was like, yes, definitely. So um, I did five years of research. I I interviewed people. I, I read lots and lots of books. I probably have the best Northern Ireland collection in (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I, I speak as someone who has written fantasies set in the Middle East and in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, I mean, for Taiwan, yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I did get to go there first. I got to spend some time there. And then I came home and studied Chinese for six years before I could actually write the book. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, you, know, you, you make the effort, you put in the work. And, and And it's your story to tell then. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would never say that I, I know more of, of what happened than anybody who actually... Of course not. Yeah, that, that, that would be <laughs> no, no, no. ridiculous, right? Um, I, I saw that thread go by of recently. It was like, hey, have you guys ever had some kid explaining what happened in an event that you actually lived through? through yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, that, yes. that's just, you know, super not cool. But the weird thing about it was I did get to go to Northern Ireland and I visited all the places that I wrote about. and. Thanks to Ian McDonald. Yeah, huh? Yeah, he he invited me. Yep. Um, bless him. He did all kinds of really great things for me. <laughs> My agent kept trying to get a British publisher to publish the book, uh-huh. which they would not do. But they said they, oh yes, we will be happy to do that if you find an Irish author, huh. give it a blurb. And I was like, yeah, huh? <laughs> So my agent was like running around to all the, like all the Irish authors that he yeah. could find. Right. Mm-hmm. And Ian McDonald got a hold of a copy of it yeah. and was like running around, uh, handing it off to anybody he could find. Sure. And one of them was Adrian McKinty. Now, Adrian McKinty's work, I, I absolutely adore his work. He's, he's an amazing, amazing writer. He's a, he's a crime writer, yeah. um, suspense writer. Yeah. So at the time, I just went to bed every night with his books playing in my ears so I could get the speech patterns, What you know? Yeah. Anyway, I, during an interview at some point, somebody asked me if I did a, a reading with another author, who would it be? And I said, Adrian McKentiel, but it, it would never happen. Mm-hmm. And this was on the CIFWA website. And the first comment on it was Adrian McKinty saying that would happen in a heartbeat. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh that's fabulous. That's awesome. Yeah. My head entirely exploded. Yeah. So um, 
uh, going to Northern Ireland was weird because it, I felt like I was experiencing everything in mirror reverse. It's called Bougie Day, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It was like mirror reverse. Everything was. Yeah, yeah. Because I had been studied all of these photographs in black and white. Uh -huh. so, so my brain wanted it to be in black and white and, and mirror reverse of what was actually there. It's weird. There's there was somebody who commented that sometimes there's been a trick of rendering color photographs done in black and white because it takes the emotional distance away for people. Uh-huh. Or it turns it into art instead yes. of photorealism, etc. Yes. So yeah. and the challenge with that in war is it makes it all very distant instead of very real and in your face. Right. And I think we're getting a little bit of that looking at all the pictures coming out of Ukraine, for instance. Yeah. I can do that, yeah. Yeah. So you have four fantasy novels. You have Cold Iron, Blackthorn, and then Blood and Honey and Blue Skies from Pain. Yes. Uh, are they oh, all in the same universe or are different no, ideas? No, no, no. Um, Blue Skies from Pain and uh, uh, Blood and Honey are, are in the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Cold Iron and Blackthorn are both epic fantasy. You also have, I have to say, some of my favorite short story titles that I've ever run into. <laughs> both the, I loved Texas Died for Somebody's Sins But Not Mine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you have an essay that everybody needs to go out and read, How to Engineer a Self-Rescuing Princess. <laughs> I, I deal with engineers and, and developers all day long, and I tell you that it almost took me back to the, the Python of how to, rec how to rescue the princess in every single script. How do you rescue the princess in PHP? You go home. <laughs> how do you rescue the princess in C? So I, I loved your essay, and I love your short work, too, especially for your titles. In the 60s and 70s, Short stories came with magnificent titles. I mm. have no mouth and I'm scream, the eyes of his face, the lamps of his mouth. Um, yeah, it was it was a lovely, lovely time. And that's that's my sort of golden period for science fiction. Um, and then then things became very plain and straight. And and now they're getting all interesting, interesting again, <laughs> again. long and complex and suggestive. I well, love it. it. It leads me to ask a chicken or an egg question of you then. Uh huh. Okay. Does the title come first or does the story come first? Actually, the story comes first. And actually, and while I'm mid-story, if the title occurs to me and I really like the title, I know that the story is going to work out. Nice. Okay, that's, that is interesting. Because me, um, I, I pretty much have to, I really, really want to have the title essentially first. I mean, you give me a title and a first line, and I'm off. Um, and that way, the, you know, the title gets embedded, and the fiction wraps itself around the title, and everything means everything else, and it's gorgeous and solid. Whereas if I, if I don't have a title and I finish the story, um, you know, you can call it anything. Um, and it will, it will just be a label that you attach, which is not the same thing at all. Exactly. I mean, it's, to me, I feel like the title needs to have something to do with the heart of the story. Um, with Persephone Station, the heart of the story uh, is it's um, it's connected to the Persephone myth. Uh, yeah. No, I, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yes. Um, I mean, did you set out wanting 
to build a science fictional version of Persephone? Um, or was it something that crept in underneath while you were writing the book or thinking about the book? Or, or did you just watch Firefly again? Because there's all <laughs> of these options. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, Firefly was one of my favorite things, I have to say. And I, and I, didn't, I totally didn't realize how much it had seeped into my system until I wrote that book. Um, well, so. it is, it's a bit of Seven Samurai Magnificent Seven because I loved Yul Brenner, so of course I loved those movies and the yes. Kurosawa so much. But very much with gender changing and feminism, and so hooray for that. <laughs> Thank you. Instead of seven guys run in, tell us a little bit about your plot and how it's it's not seven guys running in and saving the Witter Woman. Oh, it really is. <laughs> um, so... First of all, yes, I totally intended uh, to tell a science fictional Persephone yeah, story. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. That was the intention. Mm. Um, second, I just, I, I love martial arts. So I, I study, uh, I've studied a lot of different styles okay. and I've always wanted, I, I like working that into a story. So I've always wanted to write about uh, women doing all the things that 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 men do. So, in well, a, a good fight scene is very important, and I think we're finally starting to see women fighting like women instead of the, you know, there's policemen even that say big guys, the really really big ones often can't fight because they've never had to. Right, and yeah. it's intimidating, yeah. right? So, yeah. women tend to be a little a little faster and uh, meaner. We have to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. It's like, you know, mom always said, you never punch a guy. You lay him out or you don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I wanted to, to be able to, to work that into the story. And also, I, I'm also a huge samurai film fan. Mm. I, I, I love Kurosawa. So... <sighs> What it all started with was I was in the movie theater watching the latest remake of Magnificent Seven. Mm -hmm. It's been remade a lot, as we know. It has. <laughs> and I was like very excited about it because I thought that it was going to be a much more diverse cast. And I was mm -hmm. just really looking forward to something that was uh, was different. And I'm thinking, shaking her head at this point. Huh? <laughs> I'm kind of shaking my head at this point. <laughs> So we all had such hopes. <laughs> we really did, right? So I'm sitting there in the movie theater and I'm like, damn it, here we are with yet another film. There are no women in this film at all, except for maybe the one girlfriend of someone, which is oh, right. That's the way it is in the original movie, yeah. uh, actually. Um, but at least there are village villagers. Mm. Of, of different genders walking around in the background in in the original movie. Yeah. Uh, this one is just the single girlfriend of someone, I believe. Mm. Um, and that's it. And I was like, oh, come on. I mean, I got really, the first time I got really angry about that was hearing about, what year was it? It was the year Marissa Tomei was up for the, uh, the Oscar for, not leading lady, the... Um, Best Supporting Actress? Best Supporting Actress. Right. Right? 
for... Snap your fingers and it will come to you, I promise. Wasn't it the movie where there was the big... It was about my a cousin, car. My cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. Right. right. Yeah. My cousin Vinny. Right? We're sorry, Marissa. We will get it much quicker next time. <laughs> I know I, she's listening. I love her. Right? <laughs> Just so she knows, in case she's listening. And, and she's marvelous in that movie. She really is. But there weren't enough films with women in them. They didn't have very many choices. And if it's going to be a leading lady, it's because she has to be able to cry dramatically. Right. Or have like, sex I'm trying to think of for a while there, was there, were there any women that we can think of? I'll challenge the readers to write in and tell us about this. Has there ever been leading ladies that won an Oscar and didn't cry before, <laughs> During or after. before 1990? <laughs> Because, I mean, we love Sally Field. She's amazing. Yes. But, but always oh, my cries. God, she cries so beautifully. Yes. Yeah. But she knows that. Yeah. 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 I, I just looked at the data and the statistics, and it just really, it's really started making me angry. So so anyway, I, I was like, screw that. I'm completely writing my own version of this. Because clearly, it's A-OK to, to, to take Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai and do whatever you want with it. Because everyone has done this, right? So I, I was like, fine, screw it. I'm going to do this. And it's going to be gender flipped. And there are going to be no minute except for the boyfriend. And, <laughs> and that's, that's going to be his old job is to be the boyfriend. And I'm just saying for nothing, he could be played by Chris Hemsworth. Absolutely. But actually it was uh, Wes. What's Wes? What's his last name? From The Expanse. The actor from The Expanse. Oh, I'm not sure. I didn't. I, I like the books, but the series lost me at the end of series one when the strong female lead suddenly said, I don't want to do these command decisions. Would you like to take my body while you're at it? And I was like, whoever did the screenplay should be. I, I will find them at an event and I will kick them. Oh, yeah. wow. So Rosie and Angel, tell us about Rosie and Angel. In what way? I mean, I, I love Rosie. <laughs> Rosie's is a lot of fun. They... Well, Rosie is, is kind of your, is, isn't she the, the reason things happen? She owns Monk's Bar in a corporate town. Lots of criminals come through. Lots of people wanting to be hired by criminals go through. <laughs> it's, it's a great sort of, I always think all good things start in a bar. Yeah. Rosie's non-binary. So I purposely made them non-binary. Oh, so, uh, Sorry, Rosie. My bad. That's all right. I'm, I'm sure Rosie would forgive you. But I, I just love the idea of this person who has been a monk, a Catholic monk, and very, very religious and losing their faith and then ending up running a bar, a gritty cyberpunk bar. <laughs> I like that Rosie, Rosie's interesting because Rosie has their own set of rules that they, they live by and their own code of loyalty and, and honor, right? That and then you have Angel. And then you have Angel who had, Rosie's code of honor is Rosie's code of honor. And it doesn't necessarily fit in with anybody else's. Angel, on the other hand, is more like the paladin character, right? Very, very straight-laced according to his yeah, but on the other hand deeply involved with criminals and assassins and oh absolutely this is a variant version of the traditional palette yeah and true but fallen you know a fallen <laughs> <laughs> my name's angel i'm a fallen paladin i like this <laughs> exactly 
like I said, I think it's cool because it's all, it is a matter of representation, as you were saying. And there are many, many years, I think I told Kate Elliott when she was on that she wrote the first space opera that had a female protagonist that I'd ever read. And when in the Duran series, yeah, 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 and and so it's like I I want more. Elizabeth Moon is another one that I like this trend, and I want to see more of it. And I love that you yeah. combine that with the very real gender fluidity that is our modern world. Sure, um, yeah. I, I sorry, sidetrack, but um, Elizabeth Lynn wrote not just the first science fiction novel that I read, but the first novel that I had read where being gay was just a background part of life and not significant, not commented on, just people were. Um, and yeah, that was 1978 or something. Um, and, and I was, yeah, it was was, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, I I had read all the gay fiction in quotes, gay fiction, um, that had been available (laughs) in in the UK before that. And they all, you know, they all ended, ended tragically and everything was, had to be hushed up and secret and bad and da da da. So yeah, representation, it's lovely. Absolutely. I usually apply, I call it my the Uhura rule, right? Uh-huh. She, she just was there doing her job and actually being in that space. She wasn't, yeah. her character was not about being black, right? No. And, but people were outraged, but luckily they didn't have Twitter, so we didn't have to hear about it. So there were, there was that. <laughs> a series of angry letters written that that she, hopefully she Michelle never had to uh, listen to. So. Yeah, so it's for being there. Yeah, so I, I use that as my rule of thumb for applying diversity. That's fair because it, it yeah, helps me stay in my lane, right? <laughs> exactly. You you have also in the ISFDB um, a the most delightful collection of author tags ever. So for people going out looking, you'll they'll find you under fantasy, urban fantasy, pirates, horror, science fiction, and space opera. I'm like almost all in one collective here. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's ever since we, we've interviewed a few people that have talked about, you know, marketing and how do you find and how do people find what they're looking for. So I would say, how would you tag this? I would say per Persephone Station, it's science fiction. It's some space opera, absolutely. A little bit of piracy. <laughs> space Western. It's a yeah, space it, it, Western, it absolutely yeah. absolutely is, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's a genre yet, but it jolly well should be. It used to be. When, 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 I, was a, when I was a baby writer, um, and, and, you know, a powerful, passionate consumer of science fiction, in the 70s, people said space western, which then morphed into space opera. Oh, um, okay. It's, well, it's gone, it's gone kind of opera. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, Star Trek was yeah. a space western. Yes. Yeah. It was be the wagon train to the stars, right? Yeah, oh. exactly. And God bless his name, Javier Grillo Markswatch brought Cowboy Bebop oh. onto, onto the live action. Oh. And that is his. That's his cow. I mean, I it's love just that. I love it. It's so I know, good. I was right? so sad they canceled it because, oh my God, the casting. I mean, I feel like we we Firefly fans need to start yeah, writing so, yeah. in to say, yeah. okay, I need a Cowboy Bebop movie. Javier, I, I only trust you. Help me yeah. out here. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he did Middleman, and Middleman yes. was my. Yes, oh, I love that show. <laughs> oh, 
right? That is sheer comic genius. <laughs> I, I feel like we could trust if if we had to pick a producer director for your for Persephone Station, can we pick sure. Javier? Why not? I'll write him and ask him. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Christina, do you do you do that thing where you imaginary cast your books? Uh, sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, if I really want to uh, like visualize a face or something, sometimes I will cast in my head an, an actress yeah. or an actor. And, yeah. Right. Or do no. you just write and kill off people you know? Because that's, no. that's also no, fun. No, 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 no. I would never do that. That's bad, bad juju. I wouldn't do that. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I'm going to hell, Chip. Yes, you are. I'm sorry. No, I only put people in in my books that I, I really like, um, because I believe, you know, positive energy. What goes around comes around. I just want to put out positive energy. Do Do you then kill them off horribly? Yes, yes, or... I do. Okay, okay, good. well, yeah. that's, that's fair. <laughs> they, of course, any time I name a character after someone I know, the person I, I generally tell them about it ask permission yep. of course um yep. and they understand that the character in question has nothing to do with them personally and yeah sure and he's almost said to die a horrible yeah. death yeah. oh well that's that's nicer than my bad habit where every time i land in a new airport and it asks for an email in order to connect to the wi-fi and i hand it off to a lover who really pissed me off years ago ah, my favorite was a I used to always use Sweeney Todd at sharperedge.com. Nice. Uh -huh. Is there one? I, help, I know. <laughs> I feel like now we have to know if there's a Sweeney Todd at sharperedge.com. I'm check sure it. they're listening. I'll check it before this goes live. Okay. <laughs> what are you working on right now? Right now I'm working on a, a novel called Loki's Ring. Loki's Ring. Yes, it is also a space opera. Okay, are but we... is is not a sequel to Persephone Station? No, not a sequel to Persephone okay. Station. It's a standal standalone. Um, like, but, but people people have been known to write standalones, and then I wrote nothing but standalones deliberately because all my crime writing colleagues then were doing series, and you know, uh, one is obliged to be different when when one is young. I I I, I stubbornly stuck by this until I wrote this book kind of out of the blue and sent it to my editor it's it's called dead of light it's an it's an odd thing it's like mm, gangsters with magic um like and... sarah painter's series the crow oh, investigations yeah, gangsters up to, up with to a point it's perhaps. the magical femme yes yeah. yeah um yeah. and 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 I, so i sent i sent it to my editor and and she phoned back a couple of weeks later and said jazz jazz i love it but i really really have to know what happens next and I said, uh, uh, I, I don't do sequels. <laughs> and she said, no, I know you don't. Damn it. About two hours later, I phoned her back and said, so about the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to be able to do sequels, but mm -hmm. they just it just doesn't work out for me. So I'm dying to know on Loki's ring. Yeah. You've clearly, if you're going by a pattern here, then you have it about half written, you said. Oh, it's it's fully written. It's being edited right now. Oh, oh, excellent. Excellent. oh, excellent. Cool. So we don't have to wait that yeah. long. So because a ring could represent anything, mm. <laughs> is this Steady. a space opera? I mean, like Saturn, of course. Yeah. What were you thinking, you dirty-minded person? Here? <laughs> <laughs> or a ring of thieves, or... It's a ring world. Know. It's a ring world. Excellent. Oh, splendid. I love ring worlds. Yes. 
So what did what advice would you have for a young author that thinks to themselves, I too want to write gender bent space opera giving representation to me and my people across the galaxy? Carry on, surely. Well, carry on, yes, yes but please do. That that would would how did you get started when you were, you know, the the story that just won't get out of your head? How would you help them on their path? I don't, I would just say keep writing largely. As hard as it is to start, it's it's even harder to stay in. So keep that determinate sense of determination and excitement and joy because you're gonna need it. It's not <laughs> <laughs> this is not an easy business. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I have been I have been professionally involved in this business for eek 45 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was sitting at my computer yesterday writing a story because I love this story. I have no idea whether or where I will ever sell it, but it's just, you know, it is it is a thing that delights me to write and that I can still do that. Exactly. After all this time, I think is Yay. Yeah, it's yay. It's it's, yay. it's, it's celebratory. It's worth celebrating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I just for me, I like I like writing about friendships and found families. Uh, mm -hmm. I just really like teamwork kinds of stories because yeah. it's a little bit of the heroine's journey, isn't it? That uh, possibly I don't. For me, it's, it's just more like reality, right? The whole well, they say instead of you know the 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 hero's journey is you know boy goes off, finds sword, has three minute montage, comes back, overcomes obstacles, you know, blah, blah, help, people help him on the way. But heroine's journeys were much more of the finds family adopts, gets cooperative effort to get the job done. And but that's how things really happen in the world. The whole it, great man it is don't tell totally the boys though, because they would be terribly disappointed. Sorry, Chaz, he's looking at me now. <laughs> that's, I, 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 I don't know, I, I once I once read something, I suppose, about the hero's journey that said there are only two stories. Um, man goes on a journey, a stranger comes to town. And I immediately said, that is the same story. Yeah. Just from two different perspectives. Exactly. Uh, at which point, you know, I mean, I stopped wondering in the least, in the slightest about the hero's journey. And I've paid no attention to the hero's journey either. I just, I just write books, damn it. There you go. And yeah. most of them have enough people in who get together. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very like, I'm like Stina. I'm so much about the found family rather than it's, you know, it's, it's what I live. It is. And I also feel like I, I love writing humorous dialogue. My favorite kinds of films have really great snappy dialogue. Uh, Something witty. Yes, I just love that shit. I, I can't get enough of it. That's one of the reasons why I love Firefly. I, I, I'm with you. I wish Hollywood writers who are doing everything for Netflix and Amazon, et cetera, would say, we need some snappy dialogue here because I truly can't take the overdramatic <gasps> all <laughs> yeah. the time. I mean, it's <laughs> William Shatner view of, of screenwriting here. Well, see, my husband, Dane, my my husband Dane and I we we actually talk to one another like that. It, it is the kind of conversations that we have, and the reason we have those, it 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 just helps with the tension of whatever awfulness is going on, right? Yeah, I mean it's what 
Sense of yeah. humor is what gets you yeah. through and, stuff. And, 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 and the sharp wit helps Serious. enormously. Um, yeah, I, I love Absolutely. smart people being funny. It's also that, you know, from hell's depth, I stab at these sort of thing. It's like, <laughs> I want the defiant to the last character because it, it, it inspires people, you know? And that's another thing that we love from books is to not only be represented, but to be inspired and not just distracted, but diverted entirely and given a better idea. Yeah, I remade. I'm, you know, I am, I am the boy the books made. Yeah. I think the way I do because of what I read. Yeah, I was definitely, I had like a little, there was a closet in the house in Kansas City uh -huh. when I was a, a kid that I would crawl into with a book and a flashlight when I wanted to be alone and in a safe place. That's that's where I hid and, and read. I'm, I'm dyslexic, so reading uh -huh. didn't come naturally to me. It, but the desire, the desire to read did? Or did you have to develop that as well? It wasn't until I realized that reading meant it was my passport to, to different places and getting away from it all and, and having adventures. That's when I was hooked. So the first thing that I read was a, a little mini biography for kids about uh, Helen Keller. And wait. We could have read the same book. <laughs> that was like the water rushing over her hands as she was spelling out in water and, and that one. You know, I don't, I actually don't even have a copy of that book anymore. It was something that Scholastic had in there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. No, I loved that book. That was like turned Helen Keller into basically a hero for half of America. Yeah, it was pretty neat. So better than Paul Bunyan and, and Davy Crockett and all that, because I couldn't relate to any of them, but I could sure relate to Ellen. Yeah. So it was between that and Alfred Hitchcock's collection of, of, of stories for kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I do have that still. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I just those sorts of things. And I was very much attracted to spooky things. Not necessarily. I like psychological horror. I prefer psychological horror um to to like the really gory choppy yeah the goosebumps and and lemony snicket is so popular with kids is it's horror but it's not unimaginable horror yeah i would have loved that joan aiken was my favorite oh god i met i i i, I met joan, I, I met joan aiken one time no way. Um, we had a we had a lovely conversation about children walking through obviously unreliable graveyards as the start of an adventure <laughs> oh she yeah she was she was a gorgeous woman i really really liked her because graveyards are so reliable to begin with exactly <laughs> well we will put links to all the interesting things we've mentioned on this podcast on our website which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com stina thank you so much for joining us today is there any final words you want to say to those listening Besides, go immediately read Persephone Station. Uh, go forth, and I hope you have a wonderful day and crack a joke and <laughs> have have a good time. Make somebody laugh. We need a lot of laughter right now. Hell yeah. 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 You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spiders are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking the Cow, 
and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Ingberg. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene in Sunnyvale, and Arm Street over in Ukraine. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>